Hi, welcome to the second episode. I'm your host Noel Woodward and this is For the Love Of. Just a quick heads up, if you don't know what this podcast is about, I suggest you head on over to the preview before this or you could even check out the info reel that covers everything I'll be talking about. For the Love Of Potter. Potter has always been my go-to refuge whenever I felt low as well as when I've been extremely happy. Don't know if that makes sense. but i always feel at home whenever i read the source material or watch the films harry potter took the world by storm when it was released and encouraged millions of kids to read and dive headfirst into the magical world of the boy wizard jk rowling has effectively defined and inspired an entire generation of readers a rare and impressive feat and made reading cool thrilling addictive and an event to look forward to I'm glad I decided to go with this one. It takes me back to almost 2 decades ago. This time around, we start with our first guest on the show, the Sumdealist. You'll get to hear more about him and his work in a bit, and as always, all links will be shared in the show notes. Hi, welcome to the show. Hey Noel, pleasure to be here. So do I get to use your name or do I have to refer to you as the someday list because that would be just plain beard George. I know you can't just call me someday like a lot of people do. <laughs> There I said it, the cat's out of the bag now. Yeah, I mean it wasn't really anonymous that I was George, but okay, sure. Let's go with that narrative. <laughs> By the way, we've already started, so I'm just letting you yeah, know. Yeah, I know, I know. I can see that. You know that, right? It's not like you're pressing the record button, and I never get to know. <laughs> so we were supposed to record this last weekend, um, but there was this huge storm where you're at, and yeah, this past week my internet's been wonky, so we couldn't. Series of unfortunate events. Yeah, exactly, and because of that, I've effectively been living. and breathing potter for the last 2 weeks also i'm listening to the audiobooks so and i feel underprepared go on <laughs> have you heard the audiobooks no mate no i have not i've read the books <laughs> you have to listen to them i'm on the third book now and they're really really good you should sign up on audible wait who's the narrator for the audiobooks steven fry ah uh... Currently, I'm just running through a bunch of do- of YouTube documentaries online. So whenever I'm working, I have them playing, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I realized, especially if you're watching an architectural documentary, because hearing about a building isn't as the same as seeing the building. So yeah. Okay, now now we are digressing. We shall not do that. <laughs> yeah, so many things to talk about. <laughs> Let's just get started, shall we? This is the someday list. Take it away, George. So, hi, folks. I'm George. That's all you get about my name. You can also learn about Samuel at some point in life, but Samuel is not real and is a figment of my imagination. It's not a dual personality sort of a thing. 
it's just another persona but that is an entirely different thing for a completely different podcast where we talk about psychology maybe so what i do is the someday list the someday list i wish i could categorize into one single thing that's the hope that one day i can actually just put an umbrella over it and call it one particular thing but for now the someday list is about photography and again i wish i could summarize it with say i do portrait photography period but that's not the case currently i am into portrait though architecture as well and some interior photography i also have started indulging in still life okay let's just say the someday list is about photography and stop it at there because uh, letting me speak about myself could be a mistake but so having said that the someday list is about photography the idea behind the name isn't very thoughtful it's something that came around i think when i was in what grade was i in 11th grade hmm. something that was thought about with a friend the idea was that like we all have those things that we sit with friends we're drinking or like for the more audience, friendly audience we were just you know at a coffee shop the 11th grade and drinking coffee you come up with stupid ideas so and there's a bunch of things that we decide to do you know some day we would do thing do this some day we would go drive the car and not crash for a change so that eventually became like an idea for like the someday less the thing set of things that we do someday i think everyone has that yeah yeah sure everybody does have that but you started out by saying that it wasn't thought out a lot yeah so but that's the thing right the thought was for something else entirely the thought was like the concept of oh you have dreams everyone dreams to do something someday and it all becomes a part of the list the someday list so that was the thought for the name the someday list but the someday list really associate with photography or writing or graphic design of course the hell not it doesn't but i don't like to believe that the name has to be a direct description of what i do and since 11th grade i think it's been how many years has it been noy since i've been in 11th grade do the math <laughs> why are you making me do the math hmm let's see maybe 10 years oh yeah you're right it's all, it's 9 years actually yeah it's 9 years because i was 17 i remember 17 was a pretty big number back then anyway so yeah around 9 years and i've still stuck by the name i have even after everything i went through i went through design college for crying out loud and design college makes you think a lot more differently than you did in life so i still stuck by the someday list and no matter how silly the someday list sounded i've stuck by it to the point where i ended up buying a domain and made a website called the someday list and i did that like early this year so yeah it's not like a decision i made when i was younger like a stupid email address yeah so i've stuck by it anyway so the someday list currently is about photography you're exploring the possibility of online shoots as well I think this is a very interesting time to be a photographer in that regard because online photo shoots are only possible if yeah. you're a portrait photographer so there's a friend of mine who's a photographer who will be joining me on the podcast as well um so he breaks the process down into storyboards oh yeah storyboarding uh, goes a long way because i think when you do this like a yeah. conversation like that mm. for a photo shoot then a storyboards really important because you don't have the luxury of being on site 
and actually directing, setting up the space, you don't have that luxury. So you have to actually get a recce where the person with the mm-hmm. the person who's about to be shot gives you a tour of the place where the light is. Then you spend some time storyboarding, yeah. and then you eventually yeah. do that shoot. All right. So moving on from the photo shoots, we now know who the someday list is. Hi, George. Hey, Noel. So let's just start with an introduction to the books. Um, basically, just talk about the source material and reminisce about how we got to know about Potter and how our journey into the magical world came to be. Something along those lines. I think for me, Harry Potter was a conversation that used to happen in school. A conversation I wasn't a part of, because uh, I wasn't like I wouldn't say my family was really well off at the beginning. So those things like Harry Potter, the books were a luxury. But I did watch the first movie and the second, and this was very late though. Like around ninth grade is when I watched the first three movies. I think yeah, the first three movies, and it's around the time when I think the last book came, if I'm not wrong. The last book came in two thousand seven. So yeah, around then. Thirteen years, damn. Yeah. So around that time is when I heard about the book, and not heard about the book. Sorry, the found out that the last book is out. So I thought maybe I should save up and buy the last book, because my parents weren't very, how do I put it, generous with my allowance. So yeah, and those books were expensive. I remember them being really expensive for the time. Anyway, so I wanted them. I was saving, and God decided to be God with me and just be very, you know, bless me to the nth degree. So I come back from school one day and I realized that on my dining table was the entire series, and one passable Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock Holmes volume two, which I didn't really care about. What I loved was the fact that it was Harry Potter, the entire series, and. The story behind that is my neighbor had seen me reading a book once upon a time, and he was an avid fan of Harry Potter. He had all the books, and one fine day he was done with his tenure at his company. He had to leave, and unfortunately for him, he couldn't carry the books on his flight because the books were heavy. Yeah, they became exponentially yeah. heavier. Yeah, exactly. I could see that. Each the books just got thicker and thicker and thicker as you went till the last Deathly Hollows, which was like a thesaurus. So, yeah, <laughs> apparently he couldn't carry it, and he just thought he'd leave them with me. And I remember spending the next two months, I think, going through the entire series. Like I binged on the books. I binged on the books before binging was a thing. Yeah, so that's what happened. I binged on the entire saga, and it was brilliant. Everything about it. It's only after that when I actually went into the Harry Potter movies with new appreciation for understand for the fact that they tried to capture everything in the book into a movie. And like you mentioned a second ago, the books got exponentially larger. So, it, let's say it's easier to make the Philosopher's Stone into a movie as compared to something like say the Goblet of Fire or the Half Blood Prince or the Deathly Hallows, for that matter, into a movie. In fact, I think it was very evident for the fact that the last bo- book was converted into two movies because it was such a massive universe yeah. at that point. At one point, I remember there was talk about um, splitting Goblet into two parts, um, which would have been a very smart choice, you know. I mean, it would have been in retrospect, if you think about it, would have been a smart choice. But you know what? Just think about it. 
you've got this huge franchise that you've got to build from the ground up and it was still trying to come to yeah. you know come to terms with what it was and come into its own with three movies down the first two were almost literal book to screens uh, which to be fair was needed they had to set up the entire world mm. and get the ball rolling with the third film they decided to take a huge risk and thankfully it paid off alfonso did an amazing job at setting the tone and i guess the rest is history yeah they couldn't they couldn't gamble they couldn't gamble with the minimal budget that they were working with yeah they couldn't gamble with the films though the director was one thing but splitting it into two parts at that stage is a completely different ball game hmm. I, i think at the end it was like i mean they could draw a line and say this is enough we could do more but this is probably enough for the idea that we're making a movie out of it the goblet of fire i think would have been a brilliant two part series i think till the prisoner of azkaban one film was easily enough uh the goblet of fire i think was a very big step because that's when we went i think for the first time outside of hogwarts right with a whole quidditch world cup a big part of it actually stems from there the first opening the entirety of all of that was the quidditch world cup but that was such a more expansive experience with the books and in the movie i think all i remember seeing was them reaching watching one match and the death eaters jump in so it was a very condensed experience yeah i mean it was like in a second everything's over yeah exactly and you oh that was the world cup i see that was shorter than a regular hogwarts quidditch match if you think about it it was right I yeah mean, since the main cast was not really part of the quidditch match it wasn't a really long experience like but if you look back at say the first philosopher's stone sorry the philosopher's stone movie and the quidditch match there or the one in chamber of secrets even they were much more longer and they always set something else in motion but the quidditch world cup i felt was so underwhelming in that regard i think after a point they were like we can't fit in quidditch anymore exactly and which i felt very strange about because in the books quidditch is such an important part because when harry is not being harry he's being uh, he's in quidditch he's being a seeker and the movies just summarized it with a lot of shots of him just wearing the uniform and coming back from a practice session or going to and it was just that and i found that very lacking so i feel like they took a big part of that whole universe out by not including quidditch in it also when it comes to quidditch in the third book gryffindor finally win the cup hmm. which hasn't been shown as part of the third film which to me was a huge disappointment and i think the only gripe yeah, i had with yeah. it i guess they had to cut it out for the sake of the narrative in the end so i'll just stop here and we can go back a bit and maybe i'll talk about my experience with the books now I got introduced fairly early to the franchise. Um also I'm glad you called it philosophers and not sorcerers. Absolutely hated mm-hmm. the name change just so it would seem more palatable to an American audience. Um I think I was around 9 or 10 when my mom bought me the philosopher's stone because uh, she had apparently read about the franchise and at that time I was heavily into books as well. My first being The Folk of the Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton. Have you read it? No. So for the next 3 to 4 years I devoured every Blighton book out there. Um so anyway, back to Potter. I think I tried starting it. Uh the first page of the first book is extremely weird and I couldn't get past it. 
uh, it goes something mm. like this mr and mrs dursley of number 4 privet drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal thank you very much so i i just left it and this was for a good 6 months to a year i think um and then one fine day i had nothing to read and i saw this brand new untouched book on my shelf so i picked it up got past the first chapter and the rest is history i mean now we are making a podcast about it yeah you've come a long way from there yes yeah really long way and then i think the craze picked up uh, before the launch of order of the phoenix at least from what i remember um here in india where people started lining up outside bookstores which i also had the pleasure of being part of what happened with phoenix was my dad was on a work trip abroad and someone gifted him book 5 because they knew i was a fan so i had to wait almost a week to read it which was annoying since everyone i knew already had a copy and we and they were discussing plots chapter wise but i i guess it all paid off in the end i've now got an american edition with mary grant praise artwork which is absolutely delightful it's this blue hardbound book with a jacket the artwork is on that and then within the book each chapter has some artwork above the oh. title uh, we should actually talk about that you know at some point the different covers the harry potter series has seen over the time oh yes it's absolutely amazing um another shout out to the potter collector um i don't know if mm-hmm. you've heard of him uh, it's run by peter kenneth and he's got a channel on youtube where he's got a huge collection of potter books uh, i think it's the largest collection out there and memorabilia basically the books from different regions languages publishers and each of them have their own covers so it's pretty interesting i'll i'll link it in the show notes so that's how i was introduced to the world uh, also i think during the time um, of potter and all the hype that surrounded it um, there was this website called mugglenet if you remember I, again like i said the thing is i was introduced very late yeah so then you'll know about pottermore which is a more recent phenomenon i, I know about pottermore So everyone out there who remembers MuggleNet would know that it was a daily source of Potter info, okay. uh, founded by Emerson Spatz, if I'm not mistaken. And surprisingly, it's still there, uh, but with a very stripped mm-hmm. down and unrecognizable UI. Also, Rowling's website uh, was one of those sources uh, where she used to upload little tidbits every now and then, as well as chapter reveals and book titles. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Did you know about these? No, I wasn't aware of this. So for Half Blood Prince, I remember she did it through a Hangman game. Oh, okay, that's. <laughs> and at the time, I wasn't really aware of the rules or what she meant by it, so I just randomly entered a bunch of letters and and lost. Um, in the end, I didn't get the title and had to visit another website, which was MuggleNet, to uh, find out what the title was. <laughs> <laughs> Most of this stuff is coming back to me now because I've been researching about the franchise and just before we started recording I stumbled upon Pottercast. Mhm. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, I think I'm familiar with this. I haven't tried them but uh... So it's the official podcast by the Leaky Cauldron fan site. I had vaguely heard about it but at that time podcasts were very uh, esoteric. They weren't really a thing and at that time you were just a kid and you think why would people listen to other people talk when they can watch them do it. <laughs> <laughs> but the podcast phenomenon has exploded and i'm glad it has i think it's absolutely remarkable that stuff like that has sustained its base for so long um i think i'll just add all this to the show notes so moving past that what's interesting during this time as we sit at home just wanted to touch upon the sudden resurgence why are we witnessing something like that 
I mean, and it's not only with people who have already read the books and seen the films. I know a few who haven't done either, but have taken it upon themselves to explore the world of Potter. Uh, so maybe just a couple of thoughts on that. I think it's the fact that now we have time, you know. I think there's a lot of things that everyone has, like, again, not to say this someday less, but there are always things that uh, people keep procrastinating, things that they might inevitably enjoy, but they keep saving for another day. And I think the quarantine has put everyone in a completely unprecedented scenario where they have time, where they are forced to sit inside, spend hours on edge, even when you're not working, there's so much time left. So I think Harry Potter is a safe thing to jump into for everyone, you know, because there is like, it's the equivalent of saying, oh, I have the time now, I should probably start watching Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones. For people who have not gotten on that bandwagon yet, this is that time when people do that. So Harry Potter, I think, is one of those iconic series that, you know, have got so many eyes. I'm not saying that there are in books that have so many parts to it, but something that has such a successful franchise in terms of books and movies, I can't really think of another franchise. Is there any? I don't think there are. Yeah, I think now more than ever, everyone has the time to delve into something that has a start and a finish. I think most people would always not want to get into a series that's still ongoing now. But but basically, that's the thing, right? The fact that there are some series that start, you get really invested into Constantine, for example. Constantine was so easily, for me, one of the best DC series on TV, but uh, they did not continue after season one. So all of that aside, I think the important thing here is the fact that Harry Potter is such, it's very unlikely that if you're into reading, you will not like Harry Potter. That's such an unlikely possibility. So Harry Potter is something you can start reading into. And if you're not a reader, the books, the books, are, sorry, the movies, the movies are a place to be. It's not, I would say, a scene for scene remake, obviously, like most things go, but it does capture and create a wonderful universe. And it, it's the kind of universe you could have, especially in these days, when you realize that a lot of the movies that are made are not made as a singular movie, the movie in itself is a setup for a sequel. That's how movies are made these days. So in that, uh, to look back and see a movie that spans seven movies, or technically eight movies, it's honestly just brilliant because they could have done it, it could have gone wrong in so many ways. So to see that, it, see that it did not go wrong in all those possible ways and to see that it succeeded in every way it possibly could have, it's brilliant. Obviously, at the end of the day, anything can become better. Anything could have been done better. But it's also true that anything could have gone really bad too. Yeah, we were we were talking about this before we started. Um, it's very easy to criticize the films from the outside. I mean, uh, there's so much of that that goes on behind the scenes. There's a lot of that we don't know of. There's so much riding on it. And I think those factors come into play or are thought of uh, until yeah, only exactly. after series ends. To do that series the way they did it, I, I think it's, you know, props to them. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut in. It's just that I, I was like in complete agreement with that fact. The fact that well, it's that video that you shared, I think, before we started. Yeah, where... I did that on purpose to get you in the zone. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> Good job there. Anyway, so the fact is when you actually look back and you realize the scale 
of those movies, even the first one. It's one thing a lot of movies these days lack because of the fact that we have CGI and we use CGI like you know indiscriminately for huge set pieces where entire continents are burning or ships are exploding or I don't know half a city collapsing into itself. It's become so uh, trivial. You don't really feel the weight of a sequence. But when it comes to like say the Harry Potter series. Even the simple sequences. One of the most memorable scenes for me till date is when all of them are on the in the boats. The boats are going up to the castle, and you see the magnitude of Hogwarts, and you realize what they're walking into now. Even though, like in the first movie, if you think back, there aren't a lot of scenes that are on the out in the outdoors. It's not like the entire cat scale of the. Uh, Castle is captured all the time. Yeah, that's something a lot of reviewers and fans have also spoken about. That the first two films don't really focus on or explore the castle, which in the books is a living, breathing character in itself. Yeah, yeah, and the first book actually sets that up because that because basically that's the entire stage for where everything else plays out. At least most of the books, I think, till say Half Blood Prince, Half Blood Prince onwards, where everything starts stepping outside of school. because i think in fact most of the uh, books and everything that happens in the books happens in hogwarts i think deathly hollows is the one set, uh, book which actually took everything outside right except for a few scenes yeah. and uh, sections i think that starts with the fourth book uh, rolling knows that she can't have the entire plot unfolding in a single location which is hogwarts I mean, ultimately, Harry has to go out and look for these Horcruxes, which are not really lying around the school. Yeah, some some just happen to find their way there. Uh, but anyway, she starts building the larger Wizarding World with the Quidditch World Cup in Book Four, and then moves to the Ministry and mm. Grimoire Place in Book Five. I really appreciate her on that front because one thing that a lot of books lack doing is lore building, building that world. is something that most people only start doing in like later books but if you think back even in the first book they he starts talking about the ministry of magic there was always that outline from the first book which is like 1997 so even from then there was the groundwork for a grander universe so that setup is i really you know admire the amount of dedication and thought that needs to go into something like that I was watching this discussion uh, slash interview between Radcliffe and Rowling, uh, where she talks about putting out a small tidbit mm. of information on Twitter, and she says that Dumbledore is gay, and then the entire world loses it. A lot of people started questioning her, and they were like, "You just mm. done it to bring attention to yourself. You're ruining Harry Potter for everybody." I I think as an author, you develop that you know family tree with all your characters. all their traits all their quirks all their idiosyncrasies you start developing that for different characters and i'm not honestly surprised with that little snippet because like it makes a lot of other things fall into place for me personally like when i first heard of grindelwald and dumbledore's connections it almost felt like that as now especially as an afterthought in hindsight rather it does feel like that it feels like dumbledore and Grindelwald always had a thing for each other, and they eventually became these warring parties. But the thing is, what people don't realize um, is that she's the one who's written the books, and yeah. she says that after spending seventeen years with these characters, mm-hmm. up till that time, I mean, if you spend seventeen years doing something, then you're so immersed in that world 
that you've kind of developed story arcs which may or may not have made it to the books. Yeah, exactly. Also, no author would just suddenly talk of something contradictory and raise the possibility of plot holes without having definitely thought of all this. I mean, who would do that? And, and honestly, at the end of the day, she's an author who's created this entire universe. For all intents and purposes, she's the god of that universe. What she says is. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like that's the point where creative freedom goes a long way. Because she made all of it. I don't think anyone has the right to come up and say, no, you're wrong. It seems a little condescending and a little too audacious. If you look back also, at no point has Dumbledore been ever portrayed with another female character. I mean, the same could also be told about McGonagall also, where she has not been portrayed with a guy. But the fact is that Dumbledore is like really old. Yeah. Um, so there are two interesting parts about this. I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, especially because I don't know what you're talking about. So please start. Going back to the discussion between Ratcliffe and Rowling, she mentions that during a script reading session with Steve Clovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next thing she does, she scribbles across the script and uh, passes it back to Clovers um, with Dumbledore's gay written across it. Uh, which might have been quite a shock for Steve. <laughs> the second point is on McGonagall, which you mentioned, um, where Rowling um, talks about her as well and her story arc. Um, McGonagall had once fallen in love with a muggle and something transpired, which led her on this path of um, celibacy throughout her adulthood. And I completely buy that. And I, I can buy that in a heartbeat. So yeah, there's some interesting snippets from the world that she shared. So yes, we will be talking about lore as we start talking about the films. It's extremely difficult to create and, you know, sustain a hugely popular franchise, especially when there's so much riding on it. And um, as each film was released, there was constant chatter about recasting the trio for a variety of reasons. There were director announcements, time constraints, and the list goes on. The films were great and are, and uh, we as fans continue to watch them over and over again. Um, Even though we will point out stuff that annoys us, there's a whole lot the films have given to us. Uh, We won't be going into detail about everything because that's not possible. I'm not sure if you know about this, but there's a couple of things that I think when you go into movies, right? It's something I had not thought about too much, but again, preparing for this podcast, there's this channel called Nerdwriter One, I believe. I'm not sure if you've already seen this video, given that you've also been extensively reading up on this. It's basically a very simple concept. When you do the movie, right, have you considered the question, what should magic sound like? And his entire video essay is about that. How do you visualize and give an audio quality to magic, especially a, a, a movie which is all about magic? I mean, if it's a griffin flying, yes, bird's wings. But what would stupefy? What does it sound like? Does it sound like lightning all the time? Or does it sound like sparks or fire? So it's a wonderful video essay. I suggest anyone who loves the books and the movies should watch. Because I feel that's something the people behind the movies did a brilliant job at. Yeah, I'll add that to the show notes. Yeah, because sound is something that actually makes or breaks a film. So... If the the epic laser in Star Wars did not sound the way it did, then you might not really remember it the same way. It might not have the same impact. 
Oh yes, there's an entire podcast on that. The Sounds of Star Wars and Inside Star Wars by Wondery. Even in Harry Potter that's the beauty of it. The magic has sounds and even Lumos, the simplest light spell, right? It comes with like a twinkle. If you pay attention, it's never Lumos and his wand starts lighting up. There's a little twinkle that comes in and that's when the light comes up. So it's little audio cues like that which makes the magic more believable on screen. CGI is one thing, but the sound really goes a long way. Now that I think about it when you talk about Lumos, is it the same sound that's been used since the first film uh where Dumbledore uses the illuminator to put out the street lights? No, no, that's not it. But over there it's actually a normal zippo lighters uh spark. The sound of a zippo lighter sparking and I think actually I think now that you mention it I think in the first movie yes. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. So that's the thing right like the thought behind the sounds for the magic in the movies is just downright brilliant even things like how parcel tongue should sound like I think they had a dedicated team for this you know to create this rich seemingly real world I don't think Rowling would have stood for anything less Exactly and again another reason to admire her the amount of like she was the conductor for this orchestra orchestra so yeah So we recorded this a couple of weeks ago and uh, after recent events we feel that we had to come out and speak about it. Yeah, I mean it's very hard not to because when we did make the recording things were calm to say the least. Now someone went and decided to do put up a few tweets and the world went to hell. Isn't that how it always goes these days anyway? So yeah, we we don't support um what rolling has said but for all those who who are kind of um going out there and saying that the books and the characters mean less today um i don't think so i don't feel that way yeah i agree i think at this point it's just a piece of fiction and we'll have to respect it as that without trying to mix and muddle the author's opinion on what the rest of the world does Yeah but I mean just want to say that um we aren't trying to justify what she's done whatever she's done whatever she said is completely wrong and of course it's it's, yeah. it's definitely not in place to yeah, have said something anything it's, it's like. very it's very simple actually she just needs to come out with an apology and I mean while a lot of people uh might not accept it I think it's only correct for an apology at this point yeah it was unnecessary offense Hi. This was initially planned as a single episode but we ended up recording a whole lot more and we decided that it was best to break it into three parts. That was chapter 1 that you just listened to. I'll be uploading the remaining two chapters every alternate week, so expect a new episode next week. Also, there's a slight change to the preview schedule as well. All previews will now be landing on Wednesdays rather than Sundays. To keep up to date with whatever's going on, you can follow us on Instagram. at for the love of podcast 
You can subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Reach out with your stories, thoughts, ideas, and write to us at connect at fortheloveofpodcast.in. Until next time, stay safe. This is for the love of.